Will you join with me in prayer? Father God, what an honor and a privilege to stand in this pulpit from which the word of God is faithfully proclaimed. And I thank you, Father, for the teaching ministry of Colin Dye and that has blessed me personally as I watch it on Kingdom Sat. And Lord, I thank you for the ministry of KT. I pray that you open the windows of heaven, pour your blessing upon them. You promised through Samuel that those who honor me, I will honor, says the Lord. And so, Father, I thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. I spend time asking the Lord when, you, when I go to a place, even though I'm familiar with this, this is like an, I'm, I'm an ad hoc member of this church. I come at least once a year and I love this place. But I still, I want to know, God the Holy Spirit, tell me, what do I say? Uh, which message do you lay on my heart? And God laid this message very heavily on my heart. So I'm bringing it to you today from Psalm 8. So I can, you go ahead and anticipate me and turn to Psalm 8. But I have traveled the world. I've been around the world about 67 times now. I have seen, I've pastored in Australia back in the early 70s, uh, California and in, in southern United States for the last 40 years. And if I understand, and if I am not mistaken, everybody, regardless of the spectrum where you are as a believer or, or a pre-believer, wherever you are, I suspect that every one of us has a giant, a Goliath, uh, in our lives. These Goliaths are actually uh, Satan's instrument to harass us, to mock us, uh, to discourage us, to keep us from accomplishing great things for God, which I believe with all my heart, God wants every one of his children to accomplish. Amen? I want you to remember that little part of history when Goliath kept on mocking the people of God. And he kept mocking the people of God until a young man who believed that his God is greater than all of the Goliaths in the world. And whatever your Goliath may be, and I don't know, I know the Goliath for, for me is, and I am constantly defeating and having victory over him. Whether it is an illness that is plaguing you, and whether it is a weakness that is constantly nabbing at your heel, whether it is a, a hindrances that is frustrating you, whether it is a past that is haunting you, and you are not able to get rid of it and lay it completely under the blood of Jesus, uh, whether the person, real person, who's harassing you at workplace or a neighborhood, wherever you are, whatever it may be, the Bible said, Day after day, Goliath, this Philistine giant, would come up and mock, harass, and challenge the people of God. And no one, no one could stand up to him until David, the son of Jesse, shows up bringing food to his brothers who are supposed to be warriors, who are supposed to be fighting with King Saul. Here's a fact. Most likely... The giant in your life, the Goliath that's in your life, is very different from the one in my life, and vice versa. But unless we learn how to slay these giants in our lives, Satan is going to use them and keep on using them to discourage us, uh, to keep us defeated. 
uh, whether these are the giants of fear, anxiety, or worry, or discouragement, or despondence with life, whether they are the giants of addiction, or restlessness, envy, or bitterness, or anger that, that is constantly, constantly harassing you, whatever they may be, these giants have only one purpose in order to render you ineffective for the work of God. How do you defeat these giants? Well, uh, I, I, I was thinking about this and I thought of a true story. This Sunday school teacher in the United States uh, who brought a life-size giant to her nine-year-old Sunday school class. And she placed him right in the front and she said, boys and girls, what do you do if you face a giant like this? One of them said, I'll call 999. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is some calling we're going to do in order to defeat these giants. But it's not 999 or in my country, 911. <laughs> the story of David and Goliath is so well known that even non-believers, I know in the States at least, the non-believers even know it. I have heard some politicians who use it to their advantage. <laughs> But this nine foot ten inches, I don't know what it is in meters, nine foot ten inch Philistine was mocking and harassing and belittling the people of God. This nine foot ten inch Philistine rendered the entire army of Israel, the entire army of the living God to be totally ineffective in their witness for, Christ, for God. Until this young shepherd boy, he comes up and he looks at the giant when no television camera was showing the event, he looks at him and he says, who is he in relationship to my God? In the Bible, this type of giant is a type of Satan. This is a type of the battle between Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever a Goliath that you have in your life, he is Satan's champion. He is Satan's emissary. And David is God's champion. Uh, Goliath was defeated and killed. And David was victorious. Why? Because David was the foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of the sheep. And he, on the cross, knocked Satan's teeth out. David put a stone in the sling. And when it landed on Goliath's forehead, he yelled out and said, Timber! <laughs> you see, when David put that stone in the sling, he was foreshadowing the solid rock, the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ upon whom the church is built. Jesus is the one who on the cross crushed Satan's head. Jesus is the one who defeated Satan and he defeated and defeats every giant in your life, no matter how big they may appear, no matter how powerful they may appear, and no matter how much they're harassing you, he can defeat them and he can defeat them today. Amen. 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 Give God glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God in this place. The problem is there are many of God's children who don't know how to defeat the giants in their life. You see, Jesus is the one who destroyed the power of sin and death once and for all. Jesus is the one 
as I said, who knocked Satan's teeth uh, just as he promised in Genesis. Right after that victory, David was inspired of the Holy Spirit of God. As I said, there were no cameras there, but the Holy Spirit was there recording the event. And there, right after that victory, he sits down, inspired of the Holy Spirit, and he writes Psalm 8. Remember, David was a songwriter. He was the singer of Israel. And so this is a song that David wrote, Psalm 8. If you found it in your Bible, and you follow it with me, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Would you do that with me? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which uh, you have set in place, what is man that you mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than heavenly beings a crown, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hand. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim in the path of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Can you say that with me? O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May it be magnified and manifested through everyone here today in Jesus' name. Be seated. If you look at this psalm closely and you see it as a song, as a hymn, there are basically two stanzas and two thoughts that the psalmist wants to communicate to us after that great victory. The first thing he wants to communicate to us is the surpassing majesty of God. The surpassing majesty of God. And follows from there, he shows us the sober measurement of man. What David is saying here, he's saying that we will never understand human beings. We will never understand relationships. We'll never comprehend what's going on around us unless we see them as God sees them. Uh, we will never understand human beings unless uh, we see them as God's handymake, uh, handymake, the creation of God. Uh, we will never understand human beings unless we recognize them, uh, that they have responsibility for their creator. Nations, societies, communities, churches, homes, all of relationships, they will fail if they do not see each other through God's perspective. And so he begins with the surpassing majesty of God. Every problem that you face in life, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you have no problems, because I want to see you after the service. <laughs> Every problem that we are even facing in the bigger sense in society, in politics, economics, and and, and relationships, at least to me, they appear to be getting worse, not better. But I also know why. Do you want to know why? 
because we are trying to understand humanity, we are trying to understand man, we are trying to understand all of our relationships and all of our problems without understanding God and His purpose. This is where we fail. Uh, many a preacher in the United States, at least that I know, <laughs> they're focusing on the problems and how to solve the problems. Uh, they give you the principles, they give you the method, they give you the formulas uh, to solve the problem. But the problem is getting worse. And they never understand why, and they ask why. Because they leave out the most important glasses by which they should see the problem. God. Beloved, we can only have sober measurement of man, understanding people, humanity, human beings, and human problems, only if we start with God. I make you a promise. I make you a promise. If you start with God's surpassing majesty, He's going to give you a proper view and an answer to every problem you're facing today with whomever you're facing the problem with. Amen. You know, some of you might not know this, but uh, I spent five years at a university in Atlanta called Emory University back in the early 80s. I earned a doctorate in anthropology. Now, the word, Greek word for man is anthropos. Uh, anthropology is the study of man. So I spent these five years listening to these professors talking about man and all that's to do with man. And some people ask me, what was it like those five years studying anthropology? I said, it feels like I was in a dark room. I mean, it's totally dark. You can't see a thing. Looking for a black cat. that wasn't there. <laughs> you see, if you focus and you begin to focus on people and the problems and the relationships where a lot of people are doing that now, if you don't start with God and you start with people and their problem, things are going to get muddier and muddier and muddier. Uh, many a church, many a Christian, uh, begin by studying the problem and struggling to find an answer and solution. We were talking just between services and how grateful I am to God for Colin Dye and for KT. Do you know how rare it is for churches, and I know both in the United Kingdom and the United States, to have a Bible, solid, uncompromising proclamation of the Word of God and place the Word of God above everything else. Let me tell you, this is rare, and you are privileged people in this church. You really are. You see, you begin by studying the problem, trying to find solution to the problem, whether in relationship, whether in ministry, whether dealing with one another. It's going to get worse. And that is why David begins with God. Why? Because David understood that when you're under attack, again, I was going to ask you if you've never been under attack from the enemy of your soul, raise your hand, <laughs> because I know all about the attack of the enemy. Trust me. I've written a whole book on it. <laughs> it's called Trust and Obey, and it's my biography, <laughs> because if there's one thing that I've experienced is I know how to deal with that rascal. He attacks. 
And so the Bible is saying, David is saying to us, when you are under attack, don't panic. <laughs> don't faint. And don't tranquilize yourself. Don't try to cut and run. Don't try to bury your head in the sand. Don't live in despair. Don't surrender to your fear. And you do not surrender to defeat. Amen? Amen. David said that from his first-hand experience, what you need to do is do some name-calling. And I'm not talking about name-calling of your enemy. <laughs> I'm talking about name-calling upon the name of the Lord. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is where you start. This is where we need to, this is where we begin. I know probably some of you, if you're the average congregation, like I've seen all over the world, some of you probably came here this Sunday morning and you dressed lovely and you came in here, but you're discouraged. Some of you are. I promise you, I know that. Because I know the world. I know, understand humanity. Some of you have come here feeling defeated and victory seemed to be so elusive. Some of you may have come in here downright depressed. But God brought you here for a purpose. You did not come here as a happenstance. God brought you here. God wanted to speak to you. And I pray to God that no one here or those who are watching around the world would not block their ears from listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Call upon the name of the Lord. And do not stop until God answers you. There are many Christians start praying for things, and when God doesn't answer in 24 hours, they're gone. I told my congregation just last Sunday, if in the United States, around election time, prayer meetings all across the land, packed with people, two weeks later, not so much. Whether God answers their prayer or not, just back to their happy, merry way. Beloved, God is seeing that. God is watching this. You see, here's what you need to understand. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is victory in the name of the Lord. There is mercy and grace in the name of the Lord. But David is really saying something more than that. He is saying that when you look at creation and you see it with all its magnificence, People travel the world over to see some sights and scenes and natural things. And, I, and, and, and I'm fine. I'm just not doing that. I'm waiting till I go to heaven. <laughs> but I want to tell you, when you look at some majestic mountain or something so magnificent, and, and you look at it and you say, wow, remember this. This is but very, very, very pale approximation of the true majestic power of God. If you ever catch a glimpse of God's glory and God's majesty, you'll be praising Him every waking moment regardless of your circumstances. And now my prayers often said, God, please, in these days, give us a glimpse of your glory because I believe with all my heart when the church of Jesus Christ can catch a glimpse of God's glory, it will change us, it will transform us, it will make us victorious in Jesus' name. According to Psalm 8, verse 2, Every infant babe is praising God. Even when the babies are crying in the middle of the night, moms and dads, just remember, they're praising God. You know, we have 10 grandchildren. <laughs> we have 10 grandchildren. I always say that to the moms and dads. I said, don't panic when he cries at night. The baby's praising God. They said, yeah, you talk. 
because you let your wife take care of the babies. <laughs> I did my fair share. Jesus quoted this verse. Did you know that? On Palm Sunday, when he was entering Jerusalem, and these hard-headed hypocrites, uh, Pharisees, uh, they self-righteous people, to them, stop them. And Jesus quoted Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children, God ordained praise. David came into the battlefield, and he said to Goliath, who was mocking the armies of the living God, uh, he was mocking the people of God. Who is this Philistine that is mocking my God? Does he know who my God is? Does he know who my God is? Here's the problem, beloved. Listen to me. We have lost a vision of who our God is. We really have. We are so busy in our secular society and that we have lost a vision of the mighty power of God who called us to be children of the King of Kings. His older brothers, and being number seven in the family, I sure understand that. His older brothers try to hush him. Shut up, boy. You see how big he is? He'll hurt you. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of older brothers in the churches, let me assure you, who will criticize every vision, who will criticize every move. They will, will not do anything. They're frozen in the mouth, but they criticize everybody who's active. They criticize everyone who has a vision for transforming lives for God. They really do. They're professional critics, and they're in every church. I pray not, none of them are here. I am convinced none of them are here. Amen. You know, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of yesteryear, he came to this country, really rocked this place in, in, in the 1800s, and, and, and he rocked America literally back then. But he was a, a great evangelist. God used him like very few people. D.L. Moody, remember that name? Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is one of the great ministries we have founded by him. He one time was... Uh, preaching, and this woman came up to him, and she said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. He said, you know what? I don't like it either. How do you do it? She said, I don't. He said, well, I like the way I'm doing it, the new way of not doing it. <laughs> you know, the critics, the older brothers, they're everywhere. They will discourage you. They will try to stop you from accomplishing great things for God. Who are you? What do you think who you are? What do you think? I remember as, uh, when the Lord laid it on my heart, I was living in Atlanta for 10 years by that point, heading up an, an international ministry, and, and, and God laid it on my heart to start a church, and I knew nothing about starting a church. I remember sitting to God, I looked in the mirror, I said, God, have you seen this face lately? A guy grew up in Egypt, educated in Australia, going to start a church in the south. And, uh, and I, had, I had my critics. I had my older brothers who said, man, don't leave your job. The church is going to fail. I said, all right. So I, I was listening. And, and I must confess to you, at some point I got discouraged. Who do you think you are? Are you going to come and start an evangelical church? But God has a different thing in mind. You know what? I came to believe that God specializes in using the most unlikely people. Amen. I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, Amen. Don't let them discourage you. If God gives you a vision, if God's speaking to you, if God wants to use you in a certain don't give up to them. Give in to the, to the critics. Don't give in to those who discourage you. Stand up and be counted. Because that's what David did. Beloved, I believe the time we live, as I said in the very beginning, it's almost like in the old Western movies, you know, it's high noon. 
and the two sides, the army of the living God is on one side and the secular forces, the forces of evil on the other side. And I'm convinced as I see, and you'll read in the, in the article, when I see terrorists, and these are leaders in ISIS, become converted to Christ, and now some of them working with us as an evangelist and follow-up people. When I see this is happening, and then I see evangelical churches in the United Kingdom and in the United States, these are called mega church pastors who cease to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're turning their back on the truth that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. When I see the apostasy in the church in the West, and I see the work of God in the Middle East and in Indonesia and all over Asia, I am personally convinced that we're living in the last days. And that is why we need to redeem the time. Because it is time for the faithful believers to do away with vacillating between God and the world and vacillating between entertainment and worship, vacillating between being hot and cold and end up being lukewarm. It is time to be zealous for God's righteousness. It is time to be zealous for God's name. It is time to appropriate the power of God that he has given us. It is time to appropriate the name of God that has all the power in it. It is time to start appropriating the promises of God that he gave you and appropriate them. It is time to stop wanting to be accepted by society and by the forces of evil. It is a time to stop wanting to, to think that if you appease the non-believers, they'll be converted to Christ. They won't. It is time to stop wanting to be loved by everybody. Amen. You're loved by God. You're loved by God, and that's enough. That's enough. I want to have a word, just one short word, with those who came here today defeated, discouraged, those who came here despondent and wondering what is the purpose of God in their life. I want to have just one word. Rise up and be the army of God. That's a word from God. Rise up and be the army of the living God. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. When David slayed Goliath, he used Goliath's sword to do it. <laughs> and that always reminds me that within every problem you're facing, if you have in front of you this, the supremacy of the majesty of God, within every problem, within every giant Goliath that challenges you, there is a weapon for you to use to defeat the problem. Ask God to show it to you, and he will. How many times did I go to him on all fours? I said, I don't know which way to turn. And God said, rise up. I've already taken care of the problem, and he has. God wants to use his children. He does not, does not, say that with me, does not, does not. He does not want pew warmers. Did you get that? Yeah. All right. Can you imagine those neek we, we <laughs> I stutter only when I speak. You know, those weak knees, Israelites, they were trembling every time Goliath comes up and they were shaking in their boots. Even Saul, the king, was doing this. But I imagine some of them are so pious and says, oh, wouldn't that be a great day if Goliath becomes a Christian? That's God's business. 
You do God's bidding and let God do the rest of it. He, he, if you want to convert him, he converts him. But you stand up to him. You stand up for Jesus because he's the one who's worth dying for and living for. David understood the secret of victory. First of all, and foremost, it is the surpassing majesty of God. That's the first thing. That is the most important thing. And secondly, he goes on to show us that he also understood his, that when you see God in all his majesty, you're going to have a sobering measurement of man. You're not going to make an idol of these people. You're not going to put them in a place where they don't belong. No, no, no. You will have your perspective straight. Verses 3 and 4. Look with me. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have established, what is man that you're mindful of him? You see, after defeating the giant, David was saying, God, when I look at the billions of the galaxies and when I, when, when I look at the vastness of your creation, when I see the light that comes to us from these stars that have taken billions of years to get here, when I see all of that, I am absolutely flabbergasted. Now, that's a use of translation. It's not in your Bible. The word flabbergasted is not there. But you get the meaning, right? It's like the preacher who said, I don't exaggerate. I just blow it up so you can see it. The God of that vast universe, and this is really as flabbergasting when you think about it. The God of that vast universe, the God who made it all, the God who orders it all, the God who maintains it all, the God who sustains it all. He cares not only for every single human being, but for every single hair on your head. <laughs> David is really saying more than that. David is saying... That very God who created that vast universe, or universe is, has given human beings higher priority than all of the galaxies. Think about this. Next time when you're depressed and discouraged. And David is saying, Lord, it is mind-boggling that you're more interested in every single human being than in the planets that you have created. Lord, it is mind-boggling that you are more interested in souls than in the stars. Lord, it is mind-boggling that you're more interested in me than the universe. Beloved, that will humble you very quickly. I'll put you on your knees very fast. It's because of that interest, God left the glories of heaven, and he became an embryo in a virgin's womb. He lived in the crushing poverty the Bible said he had nowhere to lay his head. And then he healed the sick and raised the dead without charge. And then ended up the perfect sinless son of God hanging on a cross of criminals. But then on the third day he rose again. That is because he cares for you. That is because he places you at his highest priority of his creation. And sometimes I hear discouraged Christians, I don't think God loves me. Really? Oh, God doesn't care about me. He's not giving me what I'm asking for. Well, you might be asking wrongly. Have you thought about that? 
You ask something for the glory of God and you watch. <laughs> he will answer you. I promise you. Why? Because Jesus said, Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm going to give you the rest of your needs. are going to be met. And beloved, I have gone in places where literally I did not know where my next meal is going to come from. Obviously, since that time, I haven't missed too many meals. <laughs> but I have experienced everything from hunger and poverty all the way to abundance. But I can tell you one thing, God never forsaken me. In all these 70 years of my life, he had never once forsaken me, and he will not forsake you. Amen. Amen. When somebody comes and says, I don't think God loves me, I said, no, 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 you just don't like the way God loves you. <laughs> you don't like the way God cares about you. He cares enough that this morning, when you got up and got ready to come to church and you put that hairbrush in your hair, I know some of you looks like you don't have much, but that's okay. <laughs> some of us waste our hormones on hair. When you brushed your hair, God said, number 10,571, come on out, and it came out in the brush. He called that hair by name, by number. He had number, the hair on our head. Don't ever fall in the trap of thinking God doesn't care for every detail in your life, and in your life, and in your life, and in your life. Sometimes I said, Lord, how foolish of me to try to define myself for others and refuse the Creator's definition. Throughout history, there are many who have tried to define man, and they rejected God's definition. Darwin defined man as only a highly developed animal. Fraud or some people call him Freud, but he was a fraud too. <laughs> he thought that man is an underdeveloped child. Karl Marx defined man as mere economic factor. Pascal calls man a reed, thinking reed, but a reed nonetheless. We have a character in the United States named Mark Twain. He apologized for man by explaining that God made man at the end of the week when he was tired. <laughs> But before all of them, there was Plato, who defined man as a featherless bird. That until one of his opponents showed up in his doorstep with a plucked chicken. And he said, behold, Plato's man, <laughs> upon which Plato changed his definition. He called man a being in search of meaning. But God said through David, verse 5, Psalm 8, man is crowned by God with glory and honor. The Bible said that God created men and women in his own image. God created men and women to reflect his glory. God is the one who created men and women like no other created being. God created men and women as a separate and apart from all other creation. In fact, it was Thomas Aquinas uh, explained Psalm 8 this way. He said, man is a midway between angels and animals. 
Angels above man, animals below man. Angels have spirits, but not bodies, and animals have bodies, but no spirits. Yet, only man has body and spirit. I'm not saying he's biblical. I'm just quoting him. But at least the man had some wisdom. When they took him, when he went to Rome, and they were showing him all the treasure of the Vatican. Amazing treasures. And one of the cardinals looked at him, he said, you see, Thomas, today the church cannot say, silver and gold have I none. And he said, yes, neither can we say, at the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I'll move on. <laughs> the Bible does not say that man is lower than angels or higher than animals. Bible teaches that men and women were given special privilege to be able to look up beyond the angels, the created being by God, the servants of the living God who was there to minister to the children of God. And then when they look up to the creator God, they're going to imitate God. But whenever they look down and look downward, they will exhibit beast-like personality. And the reason the merchants of the theory of evolutions are selling it so hard and pushing it so hard as if it's the only fact in life is because they want men and women to cohabitate like animals. They want us to behave like monkeys. The reason they want us to look down instead of looking up is because they want us to be beast-like, not God-like. And Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, when this mighty man of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he turned his back on God, he became a beast. You see, when the God of the Bible is rejected, listen to me, when the God of the Bible is rejected in any society, as he's been rejected in your society and in my society, then animal-like people are going to rule these lands. And the reason all of the secular humanism from Hollywood to the media to academia, they want to eliminate God, uh, the God of the Bible from our collective consciousness is because they want to live like animals with no moral absolutes, with no moral boundaries. In fact, when that happens, people will behave like wild animal kingdom. In fact, we are doing things, accepting things, and approving of things even the animals do not approve of. Amen. It may be getting darker out there, but that's because he wants his children to shine brighter. He wants every one of you who are listening to the sound of my voice to start shining brighter in the, in the firmament. And that is why God sent his one and only son to save us from willful ignorance, from rebellion, in order that he may fulfill Psalm 8 as only God can. But the day is coming. Listen to me. It's going to get better. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Listen carefully. It says, when God, the day is coming when God is going to put everything in subjection to his Christ. Even the people who are rejecting Christ now, the Bible said the day is coming when every knee shall bow 
Every black knee, every white knee, every yellow knee, every green knee, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming when all of those who love Jesus, who lived for Jesus, who served Jesus, are going to reign and rule with Him supreme in the universe. What a day. What a day of rejoicing that shall be. Well, someone may say, but Michael, it doesn't look like that now. Sure, I understand that. But don't panic. Don't panic. All of this is going to change. The evil might triumph, but only for a moment, only for a time. God is going to have the last word. <laughs> Beloved, we read the last chapter and it says that we win. So keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up. I was thinking about this and the transformation and the change that's going to take place one day. And it may be sooner than many of us think. And I thought of a story that comes out of your country right here in the United Kingdom. It's a story about Queen Elizabeth II. It illustrates what I'm trying to tell you of where we are now and what we will be when Christ returns. When Queen Elizabeth II, before she was a queen, when she was a teenager, World War, Second World War broke out. As soon as she was old enough, she asked her father, King George VI, she said, would you allow me to join the armed forces? He was very reluctant. Uh, she is the heir to the throne, uh, but she wanted to serve her country. And so he finally, her father finally, allowed her to join the auxiliary territorial service as a private. She had a superior officer in that service who took pleasure in harassing her, in bullying her, <laughs> and literally bossing her around. It was Private Windsor, do this. Private Windsor, do that. And Elizabeth always responded, always, yes, Sergeant, yes, Sergeant. She was made a little lower <laughs> than a non-commissioned officer for the sake of her people. But then on February 6, 1952, when her father died, she, that very moment, Private Windsor, became the Queen of England. She was no longer Private Windsor. She was no longer badgered by a small-minded, non-commissioned officer. <laughs> she became Her Royal Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. She inherited a position from which she, for which she was born. Never again would she be called Private Windsor. Beloved, listen to me. I'm getting ready to close. Are you with me? Are you with me? Listen carefully. In a far, 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 how many far? Far greater way, our Lord Jesus Christ, who fought the devil on the cross and crushed his head, and now reigning and ruling on the rim of the universe in glory, even though we can't see it with our own eyes. Um, and all who are his, when the day comes and we will see him face to face, we're going to reign and rule with him. We're no longer going to be the harassed enemies of, 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 of the enemies of God, but we will be the princes and prince that God called us to be, the inheritance that he has for us to inherit with him for all of eternity. The question is, are you going to reign and rule with him?
Are you going to reign and rule with him? Without submitting to his authority as Savior and Lord, here and now, it will not be possible to reign and rule with him in the day to come. Here and now, you can be assured of victory over the enemy of your soul. And then, you'll be enthroned with him when he is enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. If you've never done this, if you've never come to him and said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself, save me. And if you're a believer who lived in defeat all of your life, and he said, I don't know, every time I try, I try harder and harder every time I seem to be taking one step forward, I take two steps backward. You're not walking in the power of the Spirit. You're not learning from David to see God for who he is and then relate to men for who they are. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask us to go to the Lord in prayer right now. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're a person, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you, if you heard Michael Youssef, don't respond. But if you heard the Holy Spirit say, that message is for you. I brought you to the service this morning by that special design so that you will hear this message and you begin to submit to my authority and that you live under my lordship so that you may live this life in victory and eternal life reigning and ruling with him. If this is the desire of your heart, if this is the call of the Holy Spirit upon you, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you and I want to pray with you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to surrender completely and totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to your Lordship, Lord. I want to submit myself. I want to live in your victory here and now and be assured of eternity reigning and ruling with you. I'm not going to prolong this. I'm not going to take too much time. But if you have heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, just stand up where you are. I'm going to be one of you. I'm standing up and I'm going to be praying, asking God the Holy Spirit to begin to place his hand of power and authority over you. And then you go from there, from victory to victory. The Bible said that we can go from one point of glory into another. This is not just an event, something you do and then forgot all about it. If that's your response, don't do it. But if you want daily victory in Jesus' name, stand up and I will pray for you. I will wait one more moment. Allow the Holy Spirit, if he convicted you, stand up and let me pray with you and for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you at the balcony. Yes. 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 Father God, only your Holy Spirit who authored the scripture, who brought this word, can rest upon these your servants who are standing up in response to your word. Holy Spirit of God, come upon them with power. Let the word of God dwell in them richly. Let them live day by day in victory. Father, I pray when they're discouraged and when they are defeated, remind them whose they are, that they belong to the King of Kings, that they're children of the living God. Father, I pray that they get into the Word and daily live in the Word and experience the power that comes from the Word so that, Lord God, they may shine wherever they may be, that you would use them in a mighty way. And I thank you for hearing and answering because I pray 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you.